Welcome at the podcast for the future of health. Conversations about innovation, technology, change, but most of all about people in health. This is not again a podcast about money or efficiency in processes. If that is your cup of tea, you might want to find another podcast. Amy van Weinsbergen has been working in ICT and robotics since 2004. She is an assistant professor in ethics and technology at the TU Delft in the Netherlands. She co-founded the Foundation for Responsible Robotics and is on the board of the Institute for Accountability in the Digital Age. She's the author of the book Healthcare Robots, Ethics, Design and Implementation. And next to that, and a lot more you'll find in the show notes, she's also a colleague of mine as Edge Fellow at the Center for the Edge at Deloitte. So, Amy, what's all about this responsible AI and robotics? Mm-hmm. What is what's that all about anyway? I think there's a lot of abstract thinking about ethics and AI and robotics. What's your mission and why are you in it? I think that robotics and artificial intelligence are now providing the world with capabilities that we didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And responsible robotics, responsible AI is figuring out with these new capabilities, how do we do it in a good way? We, of course, want to do this in a good way, but what does that mean and how can we achieve it? What could go wrong then? That's a, that's a big question. So in general, when we're talking about artificial intelligence, there's a few things that we should be thinking about that aren't really on the agenda or the radar right now. We should be thinking about the carbon footprint. So the, the carbon footprint, when you're just training a machine learning algorithm, they're talking about how now it's the equivalent of five cars' lifetime. To create an AI. To train one machine train. learning algorithm. To train. Wow. That's, that's huge, right? And there's also talk about how they're moving the data centers, because you have to keep the data centers cool, <laughs> or the computing centers, they're moving them to the coldest places on Earth. Makes sense from one end. Right, of course, but they're they're warming up the coldest places on Earth. So we are already in a situation where we have climate change issues to deal with, and we're exacerbating it. We're making it worse. And these are the things that people aren't talking about, because we're also just trying to figure out how do we deal with algorithmic bias? How do we deal with making sure that the training data is clean and yeah, whatnot? But that's on the top of the mind of people right now. But Of course, and it should be preluding it like yeah. 10, 15 years in the out? Exactly. And if you think about even five years from now, we're going to be sitting around a table thinking, how did we not think about sustainability from the moment we started this conversation? Mm. And then robotics. Yes. So robotics, sometimes robots will have AI software in them, mm-hmm. and other times they won't. They could be human-operated, like a surgical robot, the Da Vinci yep. surgical system, or they could have you know, varying degrees of, of autonomy. So you have all of the issues related to artificial intelligence, if that's in the robot. But then you have more human-robot interaction issues, right? You have, what does it mean to touch a robot or to be touched by a robot? These are the things that we're not talking about when, when it's just the software, when it's AI. AI was helping us make a decision. And not to touch a patient anymore. Right, exactly. Can you elaborate a bit on that one? So with surgical robots, um, I, I started out my yeah, journey in robotics mm-hmm. at a surgical robotics institute in Canada. And I got to watch the surgeons train, but I also got to watch them perform surgeries. And I was really struck by this evolution in the surgical practice that the, the surgeon isn't standing by the patient anymore. They're not touching the patient anymore. They're sitting 
sitting over on the other side of the room or they're in a different part of the hospital or they could even be on a different continent yeah, yeah, even. Yeah. So now we're talking about a completely different form of performing surgery and we're not asking the surgeons, how do they feel about this? What What is changing here for you? What, what are aspects that you want to keep? What are yeah. you happy to get rid of? So it's not just, yeah, touch between patients and robots, but it's also the caregivers. Their lives, their profession is... It's is also changing massively. Completely, yeah. I think Abraham Verghese from Stanford has done some great work in terms of... And there's a great TED talk about uh, from him mm. about the power of the human touch. Yes. So that's also one of the aspects that you will tap into. Absolutely. And we want to be careful that you, we, we're all familiar with this idea that touch can be so intimate yeah. and so powerful and healing, right? And, and we want to make sure that this isn't put in a situation where it can be commodified or individuals will be exploited, right? There's the loneliness epidemic that's talked about in the yeah. UK. They have a minister for loneliness. And in Japan, right, they're, they're looking at using robots to help take care of elderly people because of this you know, aspect of loneliness. So we want to make sure that we don't push a technological solution yeah. onto a problem that really might require a social solution, yeah. a human interaction solution. And is this discussion, so, so we're in the lobby of the Deloitte Center yeah. for the Edge, so there are some people passing by, which is yeah. fine. So is there, to your uh, knowledge, enough progression in it, or are you worried that we... That we're not really embarking on this discussion. I'm, yeah, I don't think we're we're not getting into the touch thing is very new. I, mm. I can see that this is something that there's only a few academic papers that are, that are even broaching the subject, and it's not something that is a main consideration. I hope that in the next five years we really start to have these difficult conversations because there's also no easy answer. Yeah. So if we're talking about ethics, right? I, I'm a professor in ethics of technology, and everyone asks me, well, what is ethics. Yeah. And I try to explain... I just was going to ask that yeah, one. Okay. No. <laughs> well, I, I try to explain that it's it's a study. You know, it, it's it's about us being critical and looking at this is how we normally practice healthcare, but now with this new technology, like with surgical robots, now there's no touch involved. And the job of the ethicist is to come in and say, is this good or bad? And how do we make such a decision? Yeah. So it's not to point the finger and no, say, this no, no, is no, bad, no, this no. is good, but it's to ask, is it, and how do we decide that and it's the process of making decisions about that and sometimes we can have a very concrete answer you know if you can respect it human rights this is a good thing and so we want to codify that and we create regulations to make sure that people protect human rights but it's not you can't always codify ethics a lot of times it's the nitty-gritty it's just the having the discussion it's getting people to sit back and think oh wow I never thought about the fact that surgeons would no longer touch a patient and what does this mean for the profession of surgeons yeah. for what, what does surgery now mean that you no longer and what does training mean for a surgeon absolutely yeah. no right so i think one of the reasons for this is uh, is one of the ways that you're handling this is that you also create a non-profit for it to yes. create i think you've called it similar to what fair trade did for coffee yes yes can you explain a bit more sure. on that so myself and Noel Sharkey, who's mm -hmm. an artificial intelligence expert in the UK, he and I, about three years ago, created the Foundation for Responsible Robotics. And this is a not-for-profit organization established here in the Netherlands. Our goal originally was to try and bring some of this incredible academic work that's happening, this you know rigorous, critical reflection on the technologies, to bring that outside of the walls of academia, to 
try and educate the public, to raise awareness of policymakers as well. As science should be doing. Right, yep. yes. And uh, and so our original goal was to have workshops to bring the different stakeholders mm -hmm. together to write consultation reports and, and documents that we could give to the public to say, these are the latest in robotics innovation. So sex robots, they're here. Yep. There's you know more than five companies that are creating them around the world. Without taking a position that this is good or bad, we wanted to say, let's have a conversation about Asking it. Asking the right questions. Exactly. And and then now in the last year, we've started to work um, with Deloitte on the creation of a quality mark. <laughs> so we are taking certain values that we think uh, companies need to be thinking about as they move forward with the creation of robotics products, values like privacy, sustainability, accountability, these kinds of values that are a cornerstone of liberal democratic societies. And we're saying, how can we create internal processes within the company to realize these values? Yeah. And so the idea is when you go to a store and you can choose one drone over another, mm. or when you're ordering your products online, right, to Amazon or Bull.com yeah. or something like that, there's a lot of robots in the warehouses, in the mm -hmm. distribution centers, or grocery store shopping. Yeah. A lot of those distribution centers are also robotics. So maybe you want to choose a company that has the, the logo on it to say, we are concerned about our, our human supply chain. We are making sure that human rights are protected in the warehouses where humans have to work alongside robots. We are making sure that we have a minimal commitment to sustainability, that certain percentage of the robots in the warehouses are made from recyclable plastics, right? For instance, yeah. For instance, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Even just small steps so that we can start to get people thinking about it so that we can start to, you know, it influence and steer companies that this is something that consumers want, but this is also just something that we need to do for the good of society. Electronic, we haven't even talked about electronic waste, right? <laughs> what are we going to do with these robots once once we're done with them? I think there was this discussion about circular economy. So there are companies like Philips is working that each and every MRI that they put in, they upfront say, this is what we're going to do. We'll take it from you, we'll demolish it, we'll break it down into parts. So this is the discussion that is running in terms of when is this certificate? Is, is it a certificate that you're talking about? It's a label, it's like a, a label. trademark stamp. Yeah. In your wildest dreams, when is this yeah. up and running and when is that process ready? Yeah. Is that ready if ever or is it more like we're trying to get this up and running and yeah. at one point in time we become obsolete or yeah. is this something that should be a continuously yeah. so we have thinking? we have our framework mm -hmm. and and we have the basic idea of how we want to actually do the process and i imagine that the process is going to maintain a certain kind of consistency but just what we look for in the process will be something that changes so I don't think it'll ever be obsolete um, and I'll explain that a little bit later but so we have the framework we are now interviewing different pilot companies because we need a pilot company that has a certain maturity and a certain yep. level of control over their product otherwise if they say you yep. know there's nothing we can do about that it's very difficult for us to be able to give the quality yep. mark Makes so sense. we're imagining though that between now and April of 2020 we would like to have between two and three pilot companies complete Completed. And what the assessment looks like is that, you know, we, we go in, the foundation goes in together with an auditing firm, and we go through procedural audits, IT audits, you know, it's a variety of these kinds of, of processes. The auditing firm then gives this information over to the foundation, and, and it's the foundation that decides ah, whether yeah. or not the quality mark is given. So it's up to us. It's up to th so, this group of individuals. So, so I'm from healthcare, mm -hmm. and one of my scary things is, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. 
here comes another registry, right. another whole check mark right. list that we have. And in healthcare already, 40% of all the work that physicians and nurses do is administrative yeah. burden. Yeah. Is this yeah. going to add to it? Or? No, this is not meant to be like that at all. This is meant to be... Um, there, there will be instances where we do have to talk to a physician, but it's talking to a physician to get a different kind of question. It's, mm. is this actually helping you with your job or is this something that's yeah. debilitating that you? Way, yeah. And with that information, that means that we then get to give an assessment to the managers of the hospital and say, this is mm -hmm. not good for your employees yeah. in terms of the actual well-being of these individuals and sustainability of the system. This is not going to yeah. go so well. So there is an added layer for the physicians, but it's an attempt to try and make their lives easier yep. and better. And and what the quality mark wants to do is you either go through this process and you achieve the quality mark and we advertise it and we create new benchmarks for best practice, or you go through the process and you get an assessment and recommendations. This is where we think you could do better. We are going to help you in this process. If it means you don't even have access to recycled plastics, what can we do? Can we go and approach Unilever and say, let's come up with a yep. project. We've got company, we have three companies that need some, some form of recycled plastic, whether it's for the actuators, the effectors, yeah. what, you know, a Whatever, piece yeah. of the robot, how can you help? So yeah. we also see that as, as our role and our responsibility in this process, too. What's the biggest challenge right now? Is it influencing the public? Is it creating awareness? Is it finding funding? Is it time? Yeah. <laughs> All of the above. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All of the above. Yeah. What's the biggest I one? I would say... For I the next, let's say, how could people that are listening to this podcast help you, for instance? Right now, it's funding, actually, mm. to be to be perfectly honest. So as a not-for-profit, we want to maintain our impartiality. So we we haven't accepted funding from large corporations, not, you know, big tech companies, because mm -hmm. we want to make sure that if a robotics company comes to us and gives us money, but then wants to go through the yeah, trademark yeah, sure. process, yeah. that, that no, jeopardizes no, no, no. our credibility. Yeah. So we're not taking any, any money so that we can maintain this sort of neutrality. But then in the end, we're a team of volunteers yeah. and, and we need to hire people to work for us. You got something time. like a crowdfunding I haven't set that up yet, but I think maybe that's, that's a good thing to do. I think I'll, that's, yeah. So in the show notes, I will refer to your okay. not, not for profit. Wonderful. And maybe a kind of crowdfunding aspect yeah. is possible for people. Yeah, yeah. You know, even ten bucks helps yeah. a lot yeah, in yeah. terms of. And we do have charitable status, ah. so we we good. do we're working towards this idea that perhaps if we did get larger donations, they would come with no strings attached because it's considered yep. a donation to a charity. Yep. So we're also working on trying to be creative. How can we help people help us? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, so you and I are colleagues within the Center for the Edge as Edge Fellows. Could you elaborate a bit more on why Deloitte? Yeah. Was that completely obvious for you as yeah. it was for me yeah. due to the things that they've already done? Or yeah. was it more like it, it happened all the way? Yeah. So I think I started the, I started working with Deloitte a, a couple of years ago on this Quality Mark project, and I noticed a, a shift happening that as we were having these discussions, as we were going through what does it mean to ask this of companies, what does it mean to create new ways of auditing and, and that kind of thing, I saw them thinking about how, wow, this is really important, and this is really something special and unique 
think and and we want to be a part of helping companies become purpose driven mm-hmm. and so it was years of me watching them also mm-hmm. thinking about this and when they approached me and said you know would you be a part of this team that helps us get digital ethics on the agenda um, I didn't take it lightly that I had already you know worked with them for for a few years and because I had I had a trust in the people that I was working with and also a belief that these people were in it for the right reasons mm-hmm. and and so for me I I watched their own transition their own evolution and I can see now that they want to make this into something they, they really want to help companies be purpose-driven and I want to help them be a part of that yeah. wow. um, last question Amy. Um, how can the public help? For one, of course, it's it's funding, but what can somebody that listens to this podcast do him or herself in making sure that we're having the right discussion? Mm-hmm. I think it's being more critical in terms of, you know, not in the aggressive no, way. No. I mean, As in asking questions. Asking questions mm. and reflecting on the things that we're reading. You know, I, I myself am on Twitter and I, I get caught up in my own echo chamber. You know, I read a lot about AI ethics and I, I read a lot about or from people who have the same opinion as yeah. me. And I think it's really important for us to be able to understand what the other side is talking about. We're creating our own bubbles and so also take a journey into other take bubbles as well. Take a journey, yeah. And, and, and figure that out and also you know for for people who think that we have no power in this sometimes it feels like terms and conditions aren't a choice you you have Mm -hmm. to agree to the terms and conditions you have to sort of acquiesce and agree to the situation that we're in or I've even heard people say that privacy is dead and it's not and and we have to believe that the way things are right now is not the way that things necessarily should be and it's not the way that things need to be we get to decide we create technologies and we get to decide how much control and power they have on our lives. So we have to start being more critical. We put pressure where we need to put pressure. GDPR is a beautiful example oh, yeah. of you know the European Parliament looking around and saying, Mm-mm, we've got all of these technologies out there. We have privacy concerns. We're changing this. This yeah. is not how it needs to be. Artificial intelligence is now the next step. We can see that companies are really investing heavily across Europe. We have, they, t- they talk about a, an arms race you know, or, mm-hmm. or a tech yeah. race race between China and the United States and Europe and who's going to get there. And we have to realize that it's not about racing. It's not about who. There is no finish line. Right? Everyone's no. going to create something. But we get to decide how we want to make this technology and how this technology will be implemented in our lives in a way where we have to just accept that that police officers are allowed to take pictures of our face, regardless of whether or not we've done anything wrong, in a way where we have to be surveilled all of the time. Do, do we want that? Do we want to have questions that our democratic freedoms could be undermined, that there could be nudging when you go on different social networking sites to get you to vote in a certain way? You know, we get to decide if that's the kind of country or place that we want to live in. I have nothing to add anymore to that. Thank you very much, Amy. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Future of Health. If you subscribe in your favorite podcast app, new episodes will come to you as soon as I publish them. If you liked it and have a spare minute, please rate this podcast and share it. I also would love to hear your feedback. Thank you again. My name is Lucian Engelen, and at Transform Health, 
and as an Edge Fellow at the Center for the Edge. At Deloitte, I help institutions, corporates, governments and professionals with a soft landing into the future.